Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. Um, being extremely hard on ourselves is, uh, is, is very common in the kind of high stress and anxiety space because that's kind of what got us there in the first place. Um, now I can... Now I, I kind of I love using the word curiosity. So when I get into these instances, I I go to a curious place and say, is this, you know, is this necessary? Does it really impact other people? Do I really care? You know, the, the people that are impacted, do I really care what they think? You know, because so much of so much of our, our struggle in life is caring about caring massively about what other people think of us. And the reality is, is that for me, there's, you know, a handful of people in the world that actually, you know, can affect my emotions in terms of what I think. And so, you know, catering to everybody else is, is to my own detriment. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. 
Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Tim, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it is really, really my pleasure. You know, I came across your story by way of our mutual friend, Philip McKernan, and you and I actually met at Philip McKernan's event. And when he, you know, uh, sent me a list of people that he recommended to interview, he recommended you in, in that batch. And every single person he's, he's recommended has been phenomenal. So it was kind of a no-brainer to, to have you here. And of course, no pressure at all. Uh, yeah. But I want to start by asking you, um, what social group were you a part of in high school? And what impact has that had on the choices that you have made with your life and your career? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I think the social group I was part of in high school was um, the popular one, although I was I was kind of having to pretend to be somebody else to fit in, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I never felt like it was I was naturally part of that group. It was like, right, how do I how should I talk? What should I wear? How should I be to kind of assimilate with these people? And um, I spent a lot of my life doing that. Mm. Yeah. How do you resolve that tension um between this sense that you you know you're part of this group but you don't feel like you're part of it and you're having to put on an act um in order to be part of it um i think that's something that i didn't figure out until i was 35 years old was that um my whole life had been about pretending to be somebody else to try and fit in with the crowd from high school to my professional career and then finally um, as we will talk about when I get into my story, um, I think the pressure of having to to wear the mask or the pressure of having to be somebody else eventually caught up with me. And I was like, ah, I need to actually just be myself. Yeah. You know, it's weird. I mean, I, I think, you know, I had the, the similar realization probably around 35, 36. And, and you kind of wonder why is it that we don't have that realization when we're, you know, young? I, I mean, I remember... Mm. 
um, you know, the kinds of things that I would do in order to fit in, you know, like I went out for the football team in seventh grade and I got the shit beat out of me on a daily basis because two <laughs> friends of mine went out for the football team, um, because I lived in Texas where there are literally seventh graders, the size of grown men. Mm. Um, you know, it, I mean, all sorts of goofy things. Like I remember, you know, when we had a fifth grade dance, I asked my dad to buy me a pair of sunglasses for the dance because I thought it would make me cool. And that way I could talk to the prettiest girl in class. <laughs> And, you know, I, it's only, you know, looking back as an adult that I recognize that we do this. And I'm, I'm wondering why you think it is that it takes so long before we come to that realization. Mm. You made me think of something for the sports analogy. I used to play ice hockey and ended up playing to quite a competitive level. But when I first started, because I'm pretty tall, I'm six foot three, and I got into a bit of a ruckus with somebody and punched him in the face. <laughs> I wasn't a goal scorer because I wasn't naturally talented. But when I got all the teammates and all the fans were like, oh, that was amazing. You should do that more often. So, you know, I instantly became a bit of a goon. Uh Um, But but again, just fitting in and and liking the validation. I think we have this kind of never-ending search for validation where, and, and this maybe answers part of your question, for a lot of our lives, it's like, Pat on the back, Tim. Good boy. Well done. Off you go. And I kind of I needed that for so long until I decided or started to cultivate it for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, in my life, uh, it took until I was mid thirties because that's just how long it took to break me before I realized that I just was forced to change. I had to do something different. Mm. Well, I, I think that makes a, a perfect segue. So to, to start talking about you know what it is that led to you to your change and to your breaking point and to the work that you're actually doing today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I um, so kind of moving on from that. Uh, from my youth, when I got into my working life, I continued to aspire to things which were kind of put in front of me by other people. So it was like, you know, I remember my dad used to phone me up and he was like, how's work going? So I was like, oh, work's important. Better do more of that. Um, So I was always trying to get pay rises and make more money and aspire to kind of get to the next level. Um, That seemed, seemed to be my pursuit. And I did that for a long time. And this was in the late 90s kind of dot-com boom time when, you know, the the boss would come in on a Friday with a bottle of vodka and say, right, whoever does the most sales calls today can start doing shots in the office. Um, and then whoever did the most deals in the month, you can borrow the Ferrari for the weekend. And it was very boiler room tactics, um, which was exciting then. And I thought, you know, this is what life's about. It's just about cranking out the cash. Um, and my lifestyle grew along with that success. So every time I got a pay rise, I'd say, right, now I could maybe buy a nicer car or a bigger house. And so, you know, I believe that we tend to grow into our pay rises. It's very hard to get more money uh, or it used to be hard to get more money and say, I'm not going to do a bit more with it. So after like 10 to 12 years in that industry, um, I became the vice president of sales for a technology company. I had a team of people under me. Um, and I, I kind of started to feel pressure in that role. I started to feel like my boss was like, what are the sales numbers? And then we'd hit the sales number and the first of the next month. It was like, right, what are you going to do this month? Like the never ending um, hit your target message. And and so I, that pressure was building up. I also had children at this point. So I started to feel this this kind of dual stretch, one from the office saying, get in here, Tim. When are you going on the next trip? do another presentation. And then my wife and kids saying, why are you never here? And and why do you even go to work? Even when there's a foot of snow on the ground outside, you still have to risk your life for this very important job. Um, 
And so that built up one day to I created this kind of perfect storm um, in my mind of neglecting myself on so many fronts. I flew from Toronto to London to do a, a business presentation for a partner. Um, and I did what I'd always done, which was get off the plane, go and meet my friends and go and drink as much as I possibly could in the amount of time I had. Um, that was kind of a badge of honor back then was like, we could go out and get shit faced and still wake up the next morning and, and do a good job. Um, I'm not sure what we were thinking, but the, that following morning I woke up, went to the coffee shop, double espresso with a hangover, walked into the room and kind of went to start this presentation and had what I call as a sort of M&M moment where I started to launch into my spiel, which I'd done a thousand times, and I had a panic attack. The first panic attack I'd ever had, I had it there in that moment. Um, at, initially, I didn't know it was a panic attack. I just thought I was dying um, because my heart felt all sporadic and I started to sweat and I started to shake um, I felt like the room was spinning and this was happening kind of a hundred miles an hour, but the people in the room are all looking at me and I'm like having, you know, I've gone inside and I'm having all these thoughts and fears and I want the ground to open and, and swallow me up. So that's kind of, um, that was the first time that I got a big slap in the face. Hmm. Yeah. So keep going. Yeah. So, um, I'm kind of in that, in that moment, I wanted to run out of the room. So I did, I walked out of the room and I, the, the irony is I was in a high security IT building, so I couldn't actually get out, which was kind of weird. Uh, so I went up to the guy that had brought me in and said, give me a key card. I need to escape. And, and he was like, didn't your presentation just start? And I was like, yeah. So, um, I'd also just hired a country manager for England. It was his first day on the job and he'd come to watch me do the presentation. So I had all this pressure I was loading onto myself. But I went into the, the restroom, splashed some water on my face and and started the, this um, catastrophizing story in my head of now I'm going to lose my house and I'm going to have to pull my kids out of private school. I'm going to lose my cars. And within you know, a couple of weeks, I'll be divorced and living on the streets probably as a result of this meltdown that had just occurred. So I was going full on beat the shit out of yourself mode. Um, you know, they finally found out that you're a fraud, Tim. They finally figured it out, which goes back to your original question of what I was like in school. Um, and that was, I went back into that room um, and kind of I had this like honesty, um, almost like I just couldn't lie. I just went back into the room and stood in front of the people and just said, look, I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know what just happened. I'm really sorry. Um, I'm going to try and do my best to, to scrape through this. And I, my legs were shaking so much. I sat down and it was like every word I said, my throat was just open enough just to squeeze it out. And, um, I got through that day. Um, I'm not sure how on reflection, but, uh, went back to my hotel room that night and lay down on my bed um and just cried and um i feel like years of suppressed emotion sort of poured out of me and i just laid there for a few hours i, I phoned my wife and told her what happened um and all i really wanted was um to go and see my mum. and my mum lives in england so i could have 
I could have figured that out. I just wanted to go and see my mum and be taken care of again, you know, just have her like look after me and she would have made me a cup of tea and, and uh, all would have been well in the world. But I couldn't do that because I was still in the shame um, zone. So I was still just beating the crap out of myself for, for failing really for just letting everybody down. Even though in reality I didn't, you know, it was, it was blown out of proportion in my mind, but that's what anxiety does. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that was the the biggest incident. And then, you know, and then everything started to change in my life after that. Okay. So many questions come from that. Um, mm. This tendency to beat ourselves up and to, you know, make things mean something that they don't, you know, I, I only know this because I have this tendency. You know, for example, I had a conversation with my business partner last night about priorities and he said, I want you to know something. This is not, you know, resentment in any way at all or a jealousy or envy. And he said, I know you well enough to know that you'll ruminate on something and it will turn into all of these stories in your head. Um, and he said, just know that it's none of those things that you're probably, you know, going to start ruminating on. Um, so I, I'm curious, how do you separate your, how do you develop that ability to not take a situation or circumstance and make it mean something that sort of stimulus response that happens, you know, without even conscious awareness, necessarily, you immediately launch into this beat yourself up story. Mm. Yeah, I think it's, um, well, I think the first thing is awareness. Mm-hmm. So, you know, back then I didn't have the awareness that I have today. Um, and so I, I believed that um, I should feel pain. It was almost like it's almost like sometimes I think people feel like they need to f- feel some pain to, to kind of, you know, beat themselves up a bit for, for whatever's going on. But um, being extremely hard on ourselves is, uh, is, is very common in the kind of high stress and anxiety space because that's kind of what got us there in the first place. Um, now I can, now I, I kind of, I love using the word curiosity. So when I get into these instances, I, I go to a curious place and say, is this, you know, is this necessary? Does it really impact other people? Do I really care you know, the, the people that are impacted, do I really care what they think? You know, because so much of so much of our, our struggle in life is caring about caring massively about what other people think of us. And the reality is, is that for me, there's, you know, a handful of people in the world that actually, you know, can affect my emotions in terms of what I think. And so, you know, catering to everybody else is, is to my own detriment. So did you leave this job um, immediately after this happened? Um, no, I didn't. I did what we normally do, which is I struggled for a bit. <laughs> um, as, our, as our mutual friend, Philip McKernan, would say, um, we, we kind of – people will change when, when the pain gets bad enough. Yeah. And uh, my pain wasn't quite bad enough, so I endured for a bit longer. But, yeah, it was very – awkward in the office i actually went into the business and said look i don't want to be vice president of sales anymore i want to be vice president of business development and uh everybody in business knows that vps of business development is a bit of a a stealth job where you can kind of pretend to be working and (laughs) off you go for a business meeting and you got the office door shut because you got some very important phone call which ends up nothing happening and and so i thought that's perfect because i can just hide indefinitely um and so I did that for a bit and, and I would shut my door and, and do that kind of thing. But it was just like my commute was an hour each way to work. And, and for the whole hour there, an hour back, I would be in agony with 
with my stomach churning and just feeling so incongruent with the life I was living um, that eventually I, I did leave. Eventually, I, I went into my boss and, and just said, listen, I, I don't want to work here anymore. I can't do this. Um, and he was, you know, we got on extremely well and, and uh, had a good relationship. And, and he kind of tried to talk me out of it and eventually realized that that wasn't going to work. So, yeah, I, I did leave. And part of that um, came from the fact that you know, first of all, I didn't admit that I had anxiety. I was like, it must just be stress. And then second of all, I thought that anxiety was um, sort of a chronic condition. And then eventually I came to the realization that my life had caused it. And so in order to change, you know, my feeling, change my emotion, I had to change my situation. So leaving the job was the first part of that. Mm. You know, this is a question that um, has come up for me a lot, um, and that this, this idea of why is it that it takes often so much pain for change to occur in our lives? Like, why is it that we often have to have pain as the catalyst, and, and it doesn't change until we experience significant pain? Yeah, I mean, I just, I come across this a lot because I don't even think humans learn vicariously very well. I mean, there's loads of you know, 20 somethings today who listen to your podcast or mine or, or other things and, and pick up on concepts. But until we've actually been there and, and felt what it feels like to be in that situation, I mean, literally, you know, because of the income that I was generating from that job and the, the reliance I felt that the people had on me, um, it was easier to bury it for a long time than actually make a significant change but now looking back um i'm almost glad it happened because it forced me to do something different uh -huh. uh, i, I would have it would have been desperate to carry on like that kind of oblivious for so long but yeah i think um you know it's like a lot of things in life uh hu human nature just seems to be that we need to be, you know we need to be told we've got diabetes or we've got a health concern in order to actually take charge and do something different mm. yeah so, you know, I want to talk um, quite a bit more about the entire sort of idea of anxiety, because, you know, I think in a lot of cases, you know, from what you're telling me, it sounds like there are people even who are not aware that they have anxiety. Um, yeah. They just feel like this is who I am and this is how I operate. Um, so I'm curious kind of one, you know, how we define anxiety first, because I think by defining it, we can start to figure out how to work with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So great question. And I think, um, I think my anxiety, I think I've, first of all, I've always been a sensitive person. Um, when I think back to childhood and I think, uh, uh, for me, my anxiety was sort of, um, I think of like a, a volcanic river under the earth and eventually it just erupted through and became a bigger thing for me. But I think it was always there, um, in that I believe that people with anxiety kind of have this extra sensory perception. They feel more, they're more aware of human interaction and conversations and just they see more stuff going on and and that could be beneficial that could be a superpower but it could also be a limiting factor when you're thinking about negative thoughts or intrusive thoughts or things that you don't want to feel or experience and you can't break that loop but to define anxiety i think is essentially you know elevated uh, amounts of fear which you can't which don't naturally dissipate um so 
of course, as humans, we're all designed to feel anxiety. It's what keeps us alive. It's what um, makes the species endure. Um, but once the threat has passed or the, 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 the threat that wasn't real in the first place, we, we know that it wasn't real, but we can't move on from that. Um, I think that's where anxiety becomes a thing and people get caught in that in the circle of fear. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So the, naturally, the next question then is how do you break um, the cycle or, or how, do you, how do you reduce it and overcome it? Yeah. Um, so one of, the, one of my mantras, one of my taglines is, is stop coping and start changing. Mm. Um, 
And the reason I say that is because I believe the system today is designed around coping. Um, and it's part of the reason I'm doing the work I do, because I just think if somebody wakes up tomorrow, has their first panic attack, their default is going to be to go to the doctor, as we do. And the doctor is going to say, here, take these pills. Um, and the person will take the pills. It'll put a Band-Aid over the actual anxiety. So there's no... There's nothing being resolved. And then we've got, at some point, a dependence on the medication and withdrawal symptoms and side effects that come along with that. Um, and then there's a whole host of other stuff, like whether it's deep breathing techniques and, and even things like meditation, to some extent, on in isolation, um, aren't the answer. So when I look at, when somebody comes to me and says, I've got anxiety and I... I can't do interviews or I can't get on airplanes or I blush or I, you know, struggle in relationships. The first thing I do is I say, great, you know, that is we've, we've, we know what the, what the kind of manifestation of your anxiety is, but tell me about your life. Um, and what I find is, is that much like if you're driving a car and you neglect to put air in the tires and you don't take care of the suspension and so on and so forth, eventually the steering wheel will start to shake. The alignment is off and our life is no different. You know, when I dig into people's stories, it's, it's relationships, it's environment, it's the workplace. It's, um, often things that, you know, beliefs that they had growing up and, 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 and I'm almost like a, an investigator of people's lives to, to figure it out. And there's often things that we can do to address the actual outcome, whether it's, you know, techniques to, to overcome the, the anxiety. But the, the meaningful change is done at the origin point. The meaningful change is done in terms of if we fix the alignment, the anxiety reduces. And a combination of those things, whilst also cultivating some new confidence, cultivating some belief in ourselves is what means that we can embrace the anxiety and say, this is actually a part of me and I'm going to pick it up and, and move on with my life. I'm, I'm, I'm curious, um, you know, we've been talking really a lot about the sort of inner work that has to get done um, in terms of overcoming anxiety. I'm curious what impact the sort of outer um, habits and day-to-day um, -day things that we do, like our use of technology, um, mm. screen time, uh, you know, what we eat, exercise, sleep. What are what are the links between that and anxiety? And, and you know, what has your work shown around that? Huge. I mean, massive. Uh, you know, a lot of. So if we start with exercise, um, if you think in uh, in terms of the fight, flight, or freeze response, uh, if you picture the gazelle running across the Serengeti or wherever it is, being chased by the lion, the gazelle will lay down and go into a freeze state. And when animals, when mammals come out of that, they shake, they jump around, they, they quiver, and they do all this stuff to flush their nervous system. Um, that's why exercise is so beneficial for us humans is because when we experience emotion, um, and cry and shake, uh, we're told to, to calm down. We're told to stop. We're told to, you know, we're given a Kleenex and said, don't cry. People say, don't cry. But that's, that's the natural way that we reset our system. So when we're very energetic, whether we're doing, you know, a sprints or we're lifting heavy weights that allows our immune system to get that workout. Um, I also work with cold water therapy. It's why if you get in a 
freezing cold shower in the morning or jump in a cold ocean that you come out and feel so good afterwards because it's flushing. It's basically flexing your nervous system like a muscle and testing it and then resetting it again. So it kind of builds resilience over time. So there's lots of um, things that we can do externally. Food also is absolutely huge. Um, I talk about you know, starting really at the basics, um, I use a, an, uh, an acronym CATS, which stands for caffeine, alcohol, tobacco, and sugar. Basically, none of those are good for anxiety for reasons of stimulating or um, suppressing our, um, you know, as stimulants. They're either lifting us up or putting us down, which which doesn't feel good. Um, that's not to say that um, people with anxiety can never have a, have a cup of coffee, but it's kind of one of the easy places to start if you're feeling anxious. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from a food point of view, I've, you know, in my own life gone through, I, I've tried every diet under the sun, mainly to, to try and regulate my weight. But when I was trying to feel better, I started to get into paleo style diets And then, you know, as is the more recent craze for the last couple of years, I've been on a ketogenic diet and I've been following um, the work of some of the the leaders in that space. Uh, I read a book a couple of years ago by Dr. Perlmutter, which is called Grain Brain, Mm -hmm. um, which talks about inflammation in our systems as a result of gluten, which contributes to early onset Alzheimer's and dementia and those sorts of things. And, And so if it contributes to that, can it also make a difference with depression, anxiety, and, and other things that we feel? I believe absolutely so. Um, and the bottom line is that when we consume diets high in carbohydrates and sugar, especially refined sugar, um, our blood sugar levels going up and then dropping off in a big way simulate a lot of the anxious feelings that we have. Um, so for me, it's about putting people on eating regimes that provide them with slow burning consistent fuel so they don't have these ups and downs of hunger and excitement and all the rest of it um so absolutely can have a huge impact and then the more kind of holistic therapies um i believe journaling is huge um, meditation is huge and just creating space um you know, a lot of the the work that I've done on myself in terms of whether it's attending retreats or, or taking time out um, has really been the most impactful because we're kind of, especially in the entrepreneurial world, we're always rushing to the next thing or trying to get the next idea complete, whether it's updating the website or launching a new product or finishing a book as you're doing, you, you're experiencing that at the moment. But um, building in time into our lives just to leave the phone switched off on the desk and go for a walk in nature. Um, I'm lucky enough to live by the ocean as you do, but or walk, walk into the forest or walk into the park or whatever it is and just be on your own with your thoughts again. Um, that is a, a rare commodity and becoming increasingly rare. You know, it, it's interesting, you know, you talk about making space. Um, I, I've, I've realized more and more how important that is as, you know, I was forced to spend five days or so completely unplugged because um, I was volunteering for a nonprofit on Montana that one of our listeners runs and there was no internet or cell access there. And for the first eight hours or so, it was kind of annoying. And then I thought to myself about seven or eight, about nine hours in, I thought, you know, this is something we should do more often. This really makes you a Mm. much better person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I've listened to, I've I've read like Cal Newport's book about deep mm -hmm. work and um, yeah, I believe it in order to actually, 
you know, a lot of people are like, how do I find my passion? And they go from one blog post to the next podcast yeah. to read the next book. And I'm like, when have you actually fucking like just had your own thoughts and written them down on a piece of paper and created enough time to know what you think without yeah. absorbing everybody else's thoughts? Um, so, yeah, I think that, you know, the way that the technology is going is, is that y- your ability as a human being to disconnect and to be on your own is you know, and this sounds ridiculous to say it, but you're going to be, you know, in a in a very small, rarefied space if you can consistently do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it re- really is. And, and I think the benefits of it are really interesting. I'm, I'm curious, kind of, um, in your own work, what have you found about the relationship between technology and anxiety? It's high. I mean, I, I, a lot of the people that I work with, um, both one-on-one and, and in my retreats, uh, they they wake up to their cell phone under the pillow or next to them. Um, they, I mean, at my worst, I would wake up for a, for a pee in the middle of the night and check my email at three in the morning. Cause I had customers in different countries. Um, and, and your, your internal world is, is so much being dictated by the, the things on your feed, um, that you're, you're handing over control of your destiny to something else. Wow. And in, and in and in 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 line with, you know, in America, all the recent political stuff that's been going on, and whether you you know whether you voted for or against that, um, you know, I, I don't watch the news. Um, I don't turn the TV on. I don't turn the radio on in the car. Um, and as you know, my dad might say, "Well, that's you need to know what's going on in the world, Timothy. You should be paying attention." But the reality is, is that we're so connected today. Is that a, I find out anyway uh-huh. at some point, and B, I just I don't need to be plugged into that all the time. I need my own space to process my own thoughts. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I'm curious um, how this whole experience of, of dealing with anxiety, leaving the job, all of that has impacted um, your relationship with your wife and also how it's changed the way that you raised kids. Mm. Great question. Um so, well, now I get to work from home and I kind of, I do go away and travel to speak or to, to run events and stuff, but I, I'm, I'm around a lot more and, uh, they tell me that that's a good thing. Um, cause I just wasn't around a lot before, but we've kind of like, as a result of the stuff happening to me, we've kind of collectively invested more in all of our health. Um, I came back to, you know, I left my job and I, I spent a, a, a couple of years investing in real estate and starting that as a kind of passive income side business, but came back to um, the anxiety story because as I started to tell it, I realized that um, it's not talked about enough. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the default of medication and and kind of burying it effectively is so prevalent um, for, for lots of reasons we won't go into, but it's so prevalent. There needs to be more voices around holistic approaches or ways that people can, can kind of interact with that. And so, yeah, so I just started day one, putting it out there. And as we do in this kind of, we have the absolute privilege today in this entrepreneurial space of creating something we love that has meaning. Um, that's really just what I've kept doing. And one story I'll tell you is, is that my eldest son, who's now 11, last year had a school project and he had to write down, he had a little pre-filled form and he had to fill in who his hero was and why and all the rest of it. And, um, he said, my hero is my dad. 
because my dad's dedicated, you know, at least the, the current work that he does to helping other people who are struggling in their lives, helping people with anxiety. And, and he's created a business doing that. And, um, you know, I just broke down like a, uh, a bowl of jelly when I, when I read that, because it's such a, you know, we, we, we often tell our kids to do this or do that or try and be this. And, um, you know, as the, the, the widely used Gandhi quote goes, you know, be the change you wish to see in the world. And through doing my own thing, that's the best, uh, education or the best guidance I could ever give my children is to say, follow your heart. You can create something from nothing and you can help other people. Um, so that was huge for me. You know, so a lot of parents listen to our show and I'm, I'm curious based on, um, this experience, what advice you would share with them? Um, I think, I think it's allowed me to, to deepen my relationship with my kids by just being more truthful around them. Um, I think prior to that, as a, as an adult with children, I was always like, you know, trying to pretend like I, I had all my shit together all the time. And that I, I really wasn't struggling and that everything was okay. And when they had a, a problem in their lives, I would say, I would say, don't worry, it'll be fine. And, um, you know, since, since all this stuff's happened, I've had a lot of occasions where, um, just recently I, I got an email from a listener or from a client, um, telling me that I've changed their life. And I was just sat at the kitchen table reading this email and I started crying and my two oldest boys were like, why are you crying? And I said, I, I said this email I just read, it's, uh, you know, it's very emotional based on this lady and I shared it with them and, and then they've got tears in their eyes. And, and so I think, you know, not trying to be something other than just myself around them has, has made our relationship so much closer. Um, it's so much easier for them to come to me now with their own struggle um, because I said, you know, I say to them, like my, my life isn't perfect. Um, and I don't feel great all the time, but I do a lot of things in my life to, to, um, you know, put me in the right direction and, and build something that I, a, a life that I love living. And, um, and so, yeah, I think it's just being truthful or speaking my truth allows them to speak theirs. So I'm curious, um, how you think about money uh, differently after this experience. I mean, you know, if you're a VP of sales and you know, you're doing what you were, I'm guessing you were probably making a decent chunk of change. Uh, so I, I, I'm always curious as to how somebody's story around money changes after something mm. like this. Like, did you give up making a lot of money and did you take a significant, you know, pay cut to go and do this? And, and how have things changed, mm. you know, in with your relationship to money as a byproduct of this? Yes, I, I would love to talk about that. So I was making a lot of money before. But it felt hollow. Um, so I would make a lot of money. I would spend a lot of money. And I couldn't, I kind of didn't really appreciate it. I just thought, of course. And I would often go into my employer and say, I heard so-and-so at another firm is making more money. I need a pay rise. And they'd say, okay. Um, my friend, um, my a very good friend of mine coined the term. We had this in-depth discussion one day over coffee, and he coined the term "grass-fed cash." Um, 
we're in this culture so much today of like grass-fed beef and all this healthy, naturally raised food. And, and so we're having this discussion around the creation of money through doing work which has meaning, this sort of organic, beautiful work which impacts people and change lives and feels good. So to get paid for, to, to have a livelihood as a result of not just, you know, some people talk about money as energy. So not just receiving the, the financial tangible stuff, but also the goodwill energy. Um, because as you know, some people listen to your podcast and they'll never spend a penny with you, but you may change their life. You have changed their life in some way. Um, so sometimes you get paid in that, in just that good universal energy and sometimes it's in it's actually in money but that was kind of our our conversation around grass-fed cash is imagine if you if you live a life full of you know abundance on the basis of producing great things that help people that just feels so much more powerful than just creating money for the sake of it at your detriment hmm. yeah so um two last questions for you um one is about books, and this has always been really interesting. If there's one book that you could recommend to our audience that has profoundly influenced your life, um, what would that be? Um, yeah, so for me, uh, it would – I mean, this is a bit of a, a, a maybe a, an obvious one for many listeners, but I go back to the four-hour work week with, with Tim Ferriss. Yeah. Um, and the reason of that one is, is just it just was the first inkling of like, oh, my God, there's a different way to do this. Um, it doesn't have to be in an office in a suit every day, which was what I was doing at the time. And so that got me dreaming and pondering about the possibilities of like, maybe I could, um, create something, which means that I could work from different locations or work at different times of the day, um, and build something for myself. So I'm going to extend the question. What is an uncommon book that, um, you'd recommend something that doesn't normally come up that is on your list? <laughs> Um, that is a good question. Yeah. I mean, I, I go to another, you know, Stephen Pressfield, the art of war, which talks about resistance. Um, but it's not really an uncommon book because lots of people know that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I have a, a, a great uncommon book. I think, uh, I've, I've read so much stuff at this point that, and, and, and most of my stuff uh, these days is around, you know, here's an uncommon book, which has profoundly changed me, but it's very recent. Um, it's by Robert Whittaker is the name of the author. And it's called um, the, uh, now I've totally lost the, the name of the book as well. Um, Anatomy of an Epidemic. Um, but it talks about the fact that, um, modern medicine and how we treat mental disorders or neurological conditions has really only been around for the last 50 or 60 years. Mm -hmm. And prior to that, people were healed on a much higher, much more effective rate with holistic therapies. And so we've kind of, we're going through this full circle where we realize that things have been pushed for for kind of big business reasons, as opposed to what's best for the people. Mm -hmm. um, and that, you know, inspires me to to you know raise my voice and and talk more about um the the stuff that i'm interested in 
Well, this has been really, really thought-provoking and uh, eye-opening and insightful, as, as I expected it would be. So I have one last question, which I'm sure you've heard me ask. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? I think the thing that, for me, that makes people unmistakable is their vulnerability. Um, I'm very blessed in my work in that when I speak and tell my story, it attracts people's truth. It attracts people to open up and tell me what's going on in their mind, what's going on in their lives. And so I think, you know, when I hear that, it's like, it's just beautiful. Um, and it allows me to connect to them, you know, more than, than you would ever connect to people without it. Well, um, this has been awesome. Where, where can people uh, learn more about you and your work? Yeah, so uh, a couple of places, anxietypodcast.com is, uh, is my podcast where I talk more about anxiety and life and that kind of stuff. Um, and you'll find lots of resources on there. Um, my social media handle is Tim J. P. Collins. So you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Connect, um, say hi, and uh, yeah, get in touch. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.